Hello and welcome to another episode of Majoring in the Minors, a podcast where we talk about how the majority of people focus on the minor and insignificant things in life. Your hosts, as usual, Mahi and Louis. Hey all. So today I'm excited to bring you a special guest, a grand wizard and um, also a junior doctor and uh, Chaco who will be discussing who's been on the front lines during this pandemic. And today we'll kind of be discussing how people should do more to major in their health as opposed to wasting time on insignificant things, which ultimately gets them sick. So Chaco, how are you? Hi everyone, thanks for having me. Um, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Uh, how are you guys? How's it? All good, it's lovely here. Yeah, all good. Ish. <laughs> I'm in the same <laughs> boat as you, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chaco, since you're a grand wizard uh, and a uh, junior doctor, could you tell us kind of how people, um, the sort of the COVID response is, has been a little lackluster and how people could sort of do better at like uh, preventing themselves from catching it? Um, so I think when this first started, obviously across the world, it was very sudden. I think around the same time, everyone freaked out, locked down. I think people at the beginning were taking it seriously. Um, but what didn't help was the rules kept changing and the rules were still changing. Um, and I think, so in, in a lot of Western countries, I think, um, having rules like this is, is quite different and quite difficult to follow for some people. Um, but when this first started, there was mass panic and I think people were following rules and you know, wearing their masks properly. But as time has gone by, people are tired, I think, which to some degree I understand. But um, yeah, there's lots of things you can do. You know, all the basic things, wash your hands, wear your mask, keep your distance. Um, isolate if you've got symptoms, get a test. I mean, it's, this is a place where you can get a test really quickly. I think that side of things, arranging a test is, is, has always been done quite well. Um, yeah, and obviously there's the vaccine in the horizon. So I think, yeah, there's lots of things that can be done that as time has gone by, people have just gotten more tired and no one's really following any rules and it's almost christmas and i think i think it's all contributing and and do you think that the wave will increase like so you're in england and mm -hmm. christmas is upcoming and then you've mentioned mental fatigue and sort of like everyone's tired of the you know the pandemic do you think it's going to rise or do you think people are going to sort of take more precautions after the first and i believe second wave I don't think people are taking precautions anymore and compared to when they were yeah. I think definitely like there's going to be a window, like a grace period over Christmas anyway, which there will be an expected rise after that. But that's, that's part of the rules, you know, that they're, they're relaxing the rules in those kind of five days so that people can see their families. But I think on the other side, there will be an expected rise. And that's on top of all the people that are already not following rules at this point in time. And it's winter and it's winter and it's cold and people get ill anyway. Um, they tried doing all these Christmas markets, which they very, very quickly shut down. There is one here in Nottingham. 
um i think it ran for like a day or two and it just wasn't working people would pack like sardines and they just shut it down so yeah there will like there'll be a rise definitely after all this and uh for you personally like how many people have you sort of treated yourself or encountered during the first wave or second wave in total hundreds probably because when you achieve your doctor on a, mostly on a medical rotation, which is what I happened to be on when COVID started, you then joined a big COVID rota. So, you know, you, for us, it was, yeah, covering COVID wards. And for me, especially in the beginning, um, when the first wave happened throughout lockdown, most of my job was covering the COVID wards, which we had a few of. Um, and then, because COVID happened, normally every four months in the UK, if you're in a training program for as a foundation year doctor, it's called, you rotate every four months to a new job. So I was supposed to go into surgery, but I got stuck on a medical job, which is cardiology, because they didn't let anyone rotate because of COVID. They just didn't want any more changes because there were already massive changes having to happen. Um, yeah, and then I then moved on to another medical job here in Nottingham, um, dealing with the elderly. And I think from what I've noticed in the second wave, there's a lot of elderly people um, catching COVID. And in, you know, in Nottingham, there's two hospitals and they try to send all the COVID to the other hospital because that's where the respiratory unit is. But a lot of the elderly wards and the admissions unit where I worked was in my hospital and then the other one that's non-COVID. But So we kind of had a big cohort of COVID patients in this hospital that were all elderly and then in the other hospital were the younger ones. So it was interesting. So yeah, hundreds. And I worked on admissions, um, which meant I saw lots of patients every day and some had COVID, some didn't have COVID. So that's how it went. Um... And do you think it's a bit odd that kids don't seem to be affected by it? Um, I think a lot of it is odd, but I think it might be something similar to chicken pox where kids don't really get it that badly, but adults, if you catch it as an adult, you'll get it really badly. I don't really know why kids aren't affected by COVID because a, a lot of people will incidentally test positive but have no symptoms. And I think they recognize that, which is why they allow children to go back to school. Otherwise, they would have never done that. It is odd. The whole thing is odd. You get, you get elderly people sometimes who show no symptoms at all, and they've got lots of medical problems, but then you get young people that are struggling to breathe. So it's all, it's all very strange. So dealing with the patients as like yourself, my f first question that pops into my head is, did you catch COVID yourself? So this is kind of funny. So um, I had a positive swab. When was it? Like April or something, but didn't have any symptoms. But May, or was it May? I don't know. But I, my antibody test was negative when I did it in May. So there is a proportion of people that get false positives, or maybe I just didn't have an antibody response. I don't know um but since then i've had so that was a routine swab that was given out because of you know various little outbreaks on wards and it was just routinely picked up um but then 
whether that was just a false positive or not, because I had no symptoms and then my antibody test was negative. And then since then I have had symptoms of COVID, but every swab I've ever done has come back negative. And I'm due to do an antibody test again, which I'm sure will also come back negative. So I don't know. I don't seem to have suffered from it, thankfully, but very odd. It just, it kind of sounds like a bad magician who just kind of made something disappear and doesn't know where it is. Like, well, I don't know. It's not here, but it's, I don't know where it is either. So it's like, it's positive, but where are the antibodies? It's so strange because a lot of people, so some of my friends had a positive antibody test and they, they were just trying so hard to think, when did I have symptoms? When did I have symptoms? And they just couldn't figure out when it was just the exposure from doing the job probably you caught covid and you didn't realize don't know how you don't realize you know i mean it's still an infection it makes you feel run down but literally some people just caught it didn't know and then they only knew they had it because they had the positive antibody test but mine was negative so it's just all all really strange Now, kind of, we might circle back to COVID, but just kind of in general, like, as we said, majoring in the minors as a doctor, because mm-hmm. uh, Louis and I can sit here and tell people like, oh, I think in my infinite wisdom and opinion, which mm-hmm. counts for nothing, people should do this <laughs> and that to keep like, you know, stay healthy and like, you know, stay, stave off uh, all of, you know, anything that can come their way. But as an actual doctor, what kind of recommendations do you have for people? Not just COVID, but anything like, you know, you know, we know winter is a time that people just tend to get ill more. So what kind of things can people do to take care of their health? Um, so there's things you can just really conservative stuff. You can do. obviously please wash your hands and wash your hands. Don't wear gloves, you know, like plastics or latex gloves unless you're literally changing it between every single action because those gloves get dirty, you know, wash your hands. If you smoke, please stop smoking because that people that suffer a lot from COVID are people that often smoke or have a significant smoking history. Um, It's hard. And like, obviously quitting smoking is difficult, but whatever services you've got around you, there's often stop smoking services. So definitely encourage people to, um, use those and if you're overweight I think losing weight's also quite important the, I mean this is just from what I've noticed and from what some of my colleagues have noticed but if you're a smoker if you've got COPD or any kind of lung problem usually because of smoking or if you're overweight or obese um, those people really suffer a lot from COVID and I think when you're overweight anyway you you kind of you're, you can't really expand your chest as much anyway, so you can be a bit prone to getting infections, but I think all those things, and just look after your health if you've got any medical problems, if it's blood pressure, if you've got high blood pressure, or if you're diabetic, take your medications. If you need to add another medication to control those conditions, control it. Because there are things you can do for your health, even if you've got medical problems, if, you, if they're well controlled, you're in a much better position than if not. And I think for the rest of us that are healthy, um, to please wear the mask. I think the mask isn't to protect you, the mask is to protect other people. Um, and I think, you know, yeah, I'm healthy, you're healthy, we're probably all healthy without any kind of medical problems. But 
And we have a responsibility to the people that are vulnerable and elderly around us to protect them and, you know, to wear a mask. Unless evidence comes out that the masks, you know, aren't, aren't working. But it, it's not that much of an inconvenience, you know. You're just going into a shop, wear a mask, basically. It's really weird that a lot of people in England uh, or a lot of Western, in a lot of Western countries, they're kind of opposed to wearing the mask because it kind of infringes on their rights. But I mean, it doesn't really, it's, it's not really difficult to do. No, it's not. It really, really isn't. I mean, there's, there's some, I, I kind of get it, you know, that you need to, if, if it's a disposable mask, you need to change it. If it's a fabric mask or cloth mask, you need to wash it. Obviously, all those things. Though if you if you keep wearing a dirty mask, then you, it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. But yeah, I think there's a definite because I think people sort of in lots of Asian countries they're used to wearing masks anyway because of pollution and because like I, some countries feel like that's a polite thing to do if you're ill is to wear a mask and maybe because they're familiar with it that's not that weird for the government to then say wear, wear a mask. But I think in these, in, in a lot of Western countries, it, it isn't, people feel like it's infringing on their rights. It's uncomfortable. You know, I have a small level of sympathy. I hate wearing the mask. I wear it because I, I have to, and I want to, to protect other people, but I hate wearing the mask. We had, there are days where, where it's hot. We had a really hot set of days in August when I was on, on the ward. It was so hot and I was so thirsty and I kept having to take it off. Because the, the mask, you can breathe through it. It doesn't affect your oxygen. But the mask, does it dries your mouth out. It makes your face feel hot and it can make you feel a bit dizzy sometimes. At least it does for me. But I still wear it. And then, you know, it, it's just the right thing to do, I think. Yeah, I feel like people sometimes, I especially when they have too many rights, like I find it weird that people are willing to sit out in the cold from 2 a.m. until like 10 a.m. to be in a queue to buy the newest phone. And then when you tell them like, just wear a mask to like, you know, protect others, they're like, no, that's like that. It's, I, it's stupid. I'm not going to do it. Or like they chain themselves to a freaking tree to save the tree. And then we're like, save lives. Like, it, I know you're healthy maybe wearing a mask will keep it off of someone else who's not and they're like well no i i it's stupid i don't like it like yes it's uncomfortable and probably you've had like you've had to wear it more than any one of us has to mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just like uh, people we, we had this conversation with lewis before like people um need a little bit of discomfort in life like i feel like we're so comfortable sometimes that just like we can't even handle a little bit of discomfort we can't handle even going through like pushing ourselves to that area in our mind that like you know it's like okay this is uncomfortable but i'm just gonna endure this is gonna like help me get mm. better i don't know no it's true that is that that's how you progress if life was comfortable you've got no drive to want to change or progress and we have to in these times if something has to make us uncomfortable i look at all the it's been probably the most uncomfortable time in everyone's life at least young people or younger people and it's what's driven all this research and all the change and we've got these vaccines now because no one wants to stay like this forever it's what drives change isn't it
Oh yeah. Uh, actually, going on to this topic, Mahan and I, or a lot of people, talk about anti-fragility and anti-fragile systems. Mm. So, like, if you look at you brought up, I think Asia and how they wear a mask all the time. But I think it was also, or like, science, they've shown that it's it was post the SARS outbreak that they kind of got used to the system. Because uh, once SARS hit, I believe they all started to wear masks and it just became a normal part of their life to like contain that outbreak. And then it kind of just became a regular thing for them where they, you know, because it's such an effect, it was such an effective response at the time. And I think that, do you see that happening in the West? Like, do you see wearing masks as a normal part of life? Um. I think most people don't see what COVID actually does. I think if you actually saw with your eyes, then maybe you would because it, and I, I think it's because it's so unpredictable. That's the problem. You know, you get the elderly who recover and have no symptoms and people say, oh, is this what we're worried about? Look at this person with a thousand medical conditions and they were fine. So why, why are we so worried? But then you get, on the flip side, the young people who end up in intensive care. And I think it's just unfortunately because this virus is so unpredictable. I mean, there are predictive factors, obviously, um, but sometimes it will just hit the person that you don't think will, will get that ill from it. And sometimes it doesn't do anything to the person who you think might die from it. Um, I think if it was something that was consistently dangerous and people would change very quickly. Um, and I, I think our government didn't really, we like probably didn't handle it as well as they should have. I think it started out well, but there's lots of confusion with rule changes. And then um, there's all this, at the moment, there's all these local lockdowns and, and people are just tired because we're, kind of going back to normal, then we're going back to lockdown, then we're going back to normal. I think at least for me, I would have preferred a stricter lockdown for just a bit longer to then go back to norm to some form of normality rather than this one step forward, three steps back. But I mean, that's it really. I think in other countries, um, they had a very strict lockdown at the beginning when people had the energy to deal with it. And, you know, they've, they've done it in a nice linear way and they're easing it properly and they've got it under control whereas here we've gone back and forth so much and we don't have anything under control do you do you also see brexit as a possible uh, amplifier or multiplier for the sort of disconnect in terms of the governance response or do you think that was just the government was not prepared it was a black swan event that they didn't really uh, prepare for and this might teach them something in the future. The, the system has been recalibrated, or do you think that it, it, like there are still gaps that would be exposed by any other pandemic in the future? Um, I think, I think, I mean, it was a, it was a time where Brexit was obviously, I think, distracting everything because they had to deal with the Brexit thing alongside all of this whole pandemic. Um, I think it's difficult when you're part of a, a union and but then your different countries are have slightly different approaches don't they to how they've handled this rather than one unified approach i mean 
Sweden obviously had their own approach to, to deal with this and then some other countries were quite strict and um, then there was the whole issue of whilst you're in the EU that you can't really necessarily block borders because you've got this freedom of movement don't you um, and I think this is why there's this talk of from the 1st of January they're going to um, stop British people from going to these European countries because they finally can I think before that, just by virtue of being in the EU, you could you could go legally if you wanted to to Europe because you had a right, um, even in, in the pandemic. So I think there's just mass movement in the country, mass movement across countries, and I think a lot of other countries, you know, a lot of places like Vietnam and um, Australia, Singapore, New Zealand, and they were quite strict with their lockdowns and. But now they've got pretty much no cases. So, yeah. And, um, you know, since working in the field, do you see better measures being taken now? Like across the board with all the sort of the NHS and the different facilities? I think they've, the, yeah, I think as time has gone by, they've had better, like the approach to COVID has improved. Obviously they built all the Nightingale hospitals and they started triaging patients better. I know at the beginning there were some issues where um, patients weren't really being allocated to the correct side. Um, not, not obviously because symptoms of COVID manifest themselves in, in weird ways. They'll do it in the middle of, you know, of someone's admission and all this sort of stuff. But I think, it's improved, but this is very unique to where I worked because I worked with the elderly, but I think the challenge was with the elderly because young people, first of all, are able to give you a proper history. Most of the time they can tell you what symptoms they have. They don't have dementia. They can remember, they can tell you all the weird symptoms. Like I can't taste anything. I can't smell anything. I've had this dry cough for this length of time. Whereas I've seen so many elderly people who have COVID and their only symptom is they're confused or they're sleepy, which is not a COVID symptom. It's a, it could be a symptom of anything. Um, so then they slip through because sometimes they don't, elderly people don't even get a fever or they're not coughing or they're not doing anything. And they only learn that they've got it by swabbing them, by doing a chest x-ray, by checking their you know blood tests and then you see they've got an infection um so no matter how well you split them and you wash your hands and if if covid patients go to kind of the non-covid side unless you wait for everyone's swab before you but you can't do you have to put them somewhere whilst the swab result comes back which is why i think these um kind of rapid tests are quite important at least to make the splits you know so that you, you know where to at least put your patients and not get the COVID patients slip through the cracks and go onto the non-COVID side. So that's quite difficult. So I, I have a weird question because, like, this is for me to conceptualize this, all right? Because I always, whenever it comes to pandemics and like you know virus and things like that, I want to know how the rate of uh, infection goes. So, like, for example, let's say I have COVID, right, and I meet up with ten people roughly what are the chances of like how many people how many of those people could i infect and how many people could be showing um you know 
symptoms or like, you know, be carrying it out and like giving it to other people? Um, I think that kind of depends where you're at in your, in your illness. So obviously if you're at, after 10 days, you're not really contagious anymore. But if you're within your 10 days and you're around people and you have symptoms, especially if you have symptoms and you're coughing because it's spread by it, that kind of drops, isn't it? So, um, but it's very contagious anyway. So all 10 of those people could catch it in that window. And I think it just depends. It just depends. And, and this is such a difficult question to answer because, um, you know, you see households, people that live together, where like two of them, and this is in student houses, like two of them will test positive and three of them won't test positive. Um, so it, it, it's difficult. It really is difficult. Um, but it's quite contagious. You know, you, again, in the elderly, we have patients who, because a lot of the elderly shield anyway, by default, they don't go outside. They have carers that come in and do things for them. Um, and then you find out that they got COVID in their household through a carer who got, who got COVID via like another carer or their family, or, you know, like you, you build this chain, then you find out it's come from like almost three links away into this elderly uh, person's home who doesn't go out. Like they don't physically go out. They don't do their own shopping. They don't do anything. So we start to wonder how did this person catch COVID? Uh, it, it is that contagious but not all 10 people do so if you're in a room with 10 people not all of them will catch COVID but they all can catch COVID I guess is the, mm -hmm. I think that's the difficulty is yeah the reason I ask is like obviously from personal experience I have a I had a client I have a client I shouldn't say had she's still alive <laughs> <laughs> but she and I know she's like a very introverted type of person, doesn't go out at all. And then I like, and obviously because of COVID, she wasn't even coming to the gym. And like, but I do keep in touch. And then I was like, Oh, I sent a message. I was like, How are you doing? She's like, I, I got COVID. And it just kind of like caught me, caught me off guard because it was like, This person doesn't even leave the house much. She's a gamer, stays in all day, all night. And I know in the past, like the past three months, maybe she's only been out a couple of times and obviously i go to the gym all the time and i'm on public transport and it was weird for me to be like unless maybe i'm carrying it and i don't know i've done the test a couple of times and i'm actually going to do it again soon uh but it was just interesting to be like all right i'm being exposed to so many different people and i'm still fine and then like this person who doesn't go out and like now suddenly uh but i guess maybe because she's stuck at home and she's always like that her, her immune system is not the best but that that's what kind of got me caught me off guard and made me ask the question i was like how contagious is it and then like mm -hmm. uh, as you said it's funny it's like f the link like yeah it could be this person but if you chase it down it goes like to a completely different situation someone just did something that resulted in her getting it like the butterfly effect yeah it literally is just like that it is very strange because like you say, you're, you're out and about and everything and um, you're not catching it. And then and it's the same, you know, there are some doctors who've been in the same room as patients coughing profusely. And we, you know, unless it's aerosol generating, you don't wear the FFP3 mask. You just wear the same medical mask that everyone else out that goes to Tesco wears. 
um, and you could be on a COVID ward and then they started saying, okay, wear a visor, wear this, wear that. But, you know, and but then these are people who, you know, go face to face. I've had, I've had people cough in my face. Um, and similarly, lots of my colleagues and there are people that have just not caught it ever. So I think it's, it is fascinating. And then, then you get, you know, similar to your friend, you people that stay, that never leave the house. And then somehow they catch it and you start to wonder how you caught it. Where does it come from? Uh, I, have a, I have a weird question, but is diarrhea a symptom? It's quite common. <laughs> it's quite common. <laughs> it's not an official symptom. As in, you know, you don't have to, I mean, you have to isolate anyway. Like if you're, for us, like if we had diarrhea for any reason, we can't go to work for 48 hours after it resolves. Um, it, it, surprisingly, yeah, lots of people, headache and diarrhea. Oh, no one believed me. Everyone laughed at me, but I was like, it's a symptom. China said it, you know, it was in a newspaper or something. And everyone laughed at me and I was like, no. I mean, but she's right though. Like if you have diarrhea, like normally, <laughs> it's, it's some sort of bug or some sort of, I don't know, virus or something. Just don't go anywhere and stay in. Keep people safe. Don't give people diarrhea. Save life. Well, I mean. Save life. <laughs> See it, say it, sorted. Diarrhea. And uh, do you, do you, as doctors, do you ever get scared, like when you're treating patients, or like when you've had to deal with so many sort of patients during this pandemic? Um. I was scared when this first started. I remember they put me the first day the COVID rota started. We, so we had a suspected COVID ward and a confirmed COVID ward. And for a week, they put me on the confirmed COVID ward with everyone coughing. And like, you know, this, that was my first year as a doctor. Not, I wasn't even done with the year. I was like eight months in or something. And I was like, I did, not sure I signed up for this this early on. Um, I, was, I was scared. My mom was even more scared. And I actually was downplaying how, how much they were putting me on the COVID side. I was like, oh, no, no, today I'm not on the COVID side. I'm on the non-COVID side. When really, like, for a solid month, I was on the COVID wards. Um, <laughs> like, today I, guys, I coughed on three times, not yeah. 300. But the reality was 500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to worry her, but we just had to do it. Lots of people were scared. And I think there were people that were pregnant. There were people that had medical problems. And I think being kind of a minority group that was recognized, I still recognized as being a risk factor. Um, but, you know, apparently being female is a protective factor, so then I felt a bit better. Um, and, but then... Wait, wait, out, what? Wait, what? I wasn't told that. Female is, yeah, I never knew that. I, I remember I read that in a journal, but from, like, don't quote me on it just yet, but from what I seen as well from it, men are a lot worse affected than women when they catch it um, a lot of our patients tend to be male tend to be male the ones that i saw the worst affected most of the time were either people who had lots of lung problems or people that were either asian or black or and male um that's what i noticed well i'm pretty right. sure we're going to quote her. We have a doctor saying this. It's going to go everywhere. We're going to take flyers. Send <laughs> <laughs> it out. I don't know what, what you do about that, really. 
Restricted. <laughs> please, please don't quote me on that. I'd like to keep my job. That'd be really nice. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I like the. I like that you think you're going to keep your job after talking to us. Like in the moment, I really, <laughs> I really <laughs> doubt that you're going to keep it. Uh, no, we're joking. Obviously, the thousands. No, no, we're going to edit business. this out, of course. <laughs> no we're not <laughs> what i want to keep my job <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, joking. i'm joking but, uh, <laughs> uh, she's gonna hang up on us right now bam <laughs> bye not end on this hopefully somewhere in the middle people stop listening and when they start listening they might just miss well well we got you covered because nobody listens to us. yeah exactly we, we we were ahead and we were like all right no nice <laughs> Uh, but, back on track but, to get away from the minors that we just went on yeah we tend to do that a lot to show people how to uh, not, not get distracted yeah yeah uh, I, honestly though but back to the point as time has gone by i've just become desensitized like it's become i've had what like at least eight nine months of this being my life solidly I, it sounds bad but you stop caring because like you just see the same thing all the time and your level of risk doesn't change so well i was at risk yesterday i'll be at risk today i'm at risk tomorrow um and then you just stop you just do your job you get on with it yeah. i just i just want to give a pro a shout out or a props because you the frontline workers the healthcare workers like this this pandemic has shown just how important y'all are and uh, the risks y'all take every day. I mean, in general, around the world, uh, it's really great. Wait, I mean, wait, I personally hate you're hospitals. Telling me, you're telling me that the celebrities singing Imagine There's No Heaven didn't do as much as the front work is? And <laughs> the doctors, what? And I thought they did all the work. <laughs> Or the people clicking like on Facebook. Yeah. One like equals one. But uh, no, but really like, uh, I mean, I hate doctors. I mean, I hate uh, hospitals and doctors personally. But I mean, <laughs> you guys are doing a tremendous job. Thanks, mate. <laughs> no, because every time I went, they gave me the wrong diagnosis. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I, I just had a bad experience with the NHS, I guess. So I, I don't know. No, no. I, I, I don't think many people like doctors to be fair mm. Mm. i don't like them to doctors. yeah i mean we have <laughs> google right we can just google anything and yeah then we're doctors all of us because like google just tells me yes i have this disease i'm like oh interesting which we do not condone on this yeah. podcast because that's majoring in the minors exactly. webmd is not a it's real not, it, source i mean if you're it's actually a person who like you know, search their symptoms and like just looks it up and decides that that's the that's what they have. Maybe just change your mindset. Maybe like actually stop using the internet for a while. Go and play in the garden with a stick and stay away from the computer and don't listen to us. Yeah. But now to move into maybe less uh, pandemic-y kind of topics. Uh, how do you pass your time? Because I think you're both in lockdown since you're both in England. How do you kind of pass your time to keep your mental health or your sort of health strong during this uh, this period of, well, I don't know, boredom? Oh, it's hard. 
is so hard. And I say this as someone who was very fortunate to still get to see her friends at work all throughout, but it is hard. And I don't know how other people have found it that I've been really isolated during this time. Because everything that I would want to do, every like I wanted to go like scuba diving, I wanted to go back to ice skating, I wanted, I joined the gym, even though I hate working out. Um, and I think just every little thing that you would do as a nice gesture for yourself, it's really difficult to do now. And I, I know London's in tier two, which means at least you can go out for a meal. We're in tier three here, so we can't even do that. But at least the shops have opened now. Um, I think the biggest, nicest thing they did was allowing support bubbles. I think that, I know that was hard at the beginning, but not having that. Um, I just, I, I mean, I've got lots of, I've been really busy anyway, because I've had lots of projects and lots, I've applied to specialty training and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I just do whatever artwork type of stuff I can do to pass the time, watch mindless things. This is something I love doing, like just watching brain dead shows on Netflix, things that you don't have to pay attention to, like reality TV. It really helps you unwind. It's great. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. So I've been pretty much recently, I've been talking about with Lewis, especially that how gaming has so many benefits that, like, you know, people kind of uh, disregard. One of the benefits of being a gamer is be it hailstorm, meteorites, or like, you know, fire just gushing down the sky outside. You can just stay in and play your games and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. It does help. Gaming is something I like used to do before all this lockdown. Somehow I've not had the energy during all of this and I've got the most time I've ever had. But just the only... It, and I, the only thing that I did play was Cuphead with my partner. What a frustrating oh, great game. Oh, yeah, that's a frustrating game. Like, it's, it's so, so annoying. Crazy. That doesn't let you unwind. That like winds you up. That, that pisses you off. Especially when you play two-player. Oh, it's that's just stupid. horrible. Again, stupid. Oh, we finished it, which was good. Stupid night. Oh, good. Um, but, oh. Um, I mean, we didn't get anything higher than a B throughout, but we finished it together. I died a lot, but he uh, carried me all the way through. Uh, if you want to feel even worse about it, just go and watch speed runs of Cuphead on YouTube and like people who finish it in like 20, 30 minutes with the highest ranking. And oh that'll just ruin your life. Oh my God. Or Devil May Cry. Like just, just Devil May Cry. Uh, final boss, highest difficulty. And you'll feel insignificant. Insignificant. It's true. Like bosses that I was finding difficult, and I was like, surely, surely, this is impossible. And then, yeah, you just see someone that makes it look this easy, and I'm like, oh, I feel bad now. I'm supposed to be some skilled professional, and can't even do this. I just feel dumb. But yeah, no, uh, that's the only game I've played, and it is endlessly frustrating. But somehow, that's at least you're frustrated at something else and not the lockdown. So, yeah, of course course and do you uh do you think that uh, the uk is more pandemic proof in what way like do you think that 
the government or the sort of the, the health centers infrastructure is now better equipped to deal with, let's say, a future pandemic because of learnings from the COVID one? Or do you think it'll just reset? I think, I think some lessons were learned, but I think there's still, and it's not that the lessons weren't learned. I think there's been a, there's a resource issue. Um, definitely like in the first wave, the Nightingale hospitals were set up, but they weren't really used that much because people fail to recognize that the people that are severely affected by COVID, it's not just their lungs, you know, it's something often their kidneys take a hit and only dialysis and all sorts. And those types of specialist hospitals weren't equipped to deal with the other complications. So they weren't being used. And I think some lessons were learned and I think they're, you know, kind of going on high alert and making sure like rotors are put in place. And I think that side's being done well. The side that's not being done well is all the things that keep getting canceled, the operations, because, um, and now there's this massive, massive waiting list. And there's been this all or nothing approach with COVID that I don't personally agree with, I think. And again, I work with the elderly or I worked with the elderly. And if they're waiting for their knees or their hips to be replaced and that operation gets canceled, that's not, that's not non-essential. Yeah, it's not life-saving, you know, it's not a cancer operation, but it still is essential because they are in pain. And for the elderly, if they're in pain and they can't walk, they will fall. And if they fall, they come to hospital anyway. So you're just saying, oh, well, let's cancel this to protect our beds, protect them from COVID, protect all these things. And then they, they fall and they come to hospital anyway. And I think we never quite, um, we haven't gotten that part right. And I think sometimes clinics and things just keep getting canceled. And there are clinics that are important, you know, preventative clinics like high cholesterol, that's a clinic that keeps getting canceled. Um, and I think, it might not seem essential, but if tomorrow, if after a year, two years, whatever, that was delayed and someone has a heart attack in the meantime because they weren't seen in that clinic, you know, you had all these chances to prevent things more serious from happening and it's not happening. And that's the problem with COVID. People are in pain and like their clinics are getting canceled um, because of this virus. It's, it's difficult. I think we're, that's the part that's kind of going wrong because we've got a bigger problem and it's the waiting list for things and other parts of healthcare that are also important apart from COVID and life-saving things. There's symptom control, there's things to do to prevent conditions from getting worse and I think that's what we're going to see more of. So it's kind of like a catch-22 where they're like sort of everything's on COVID, but then everything else is being ignored. And then that will cause hospitalizations because of the other things. And then it just goes into a cycle, basically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and, um, you know, GPs get a terrible reputation um, these days because of the news, but they really well and truly are working hard. And they're having to mop up a lot of this. And I've, I've just rotated into GP and there are people that, have had all their clinics canceled and they don't know where to go because they've had they've been diagnosed with this thing and they were supposed to be followed up but they haven't been and now they're still in pain or they've still got symptoms what do i do and then they come to me and, I'm, and i 
then have to try and ring the hospital to say, what can we do in the meantime? Because their surgery keeps getting cancelled. So GPs are doing a lot of that at the moment, which, you know, often shouldn't really necessarily be their job all the time. But yeah, they're, they're quite busy. They are trying to keep, do their consultations on the phone to keep patients safe. Because like we've seen patients are catching COVID even without leaving their house. So, you know, a lot of patients are vulnerable and they are trying their best not to bring them in to protect them. But they will bring them in if they have to. Um, so they will see patients face to face. This is a common misconception that they're not seeing any patients. They are seeing lots of patients face to face. I think it is difficult. And as you said, it is really difficult to deal with it. Like, you know, and you, you, or I have been in the same boat that at least I got to go to work and like see some of my friends, obviously sometimes when the gyms close and everything, but um. I, I I can survive. I'm really introverted, actually, so I can stay at home and not leave and like still be there. Because as I said, games, but um, not even playing games anymore because I don't play it as much. But I can just go back to that shell and protect myself. But I think it's very difficult for a lot of people, and it brings us back to that point of you know a little bit of adversity, I guess. Like you know, it it is something that not a lot of us ha- have had to deal with but also a lot of us will come out of this stronger. So like, it's tough, but I think a lot of people have like learned at least valuable lessons about themselves and their lives or like, you know, obviously some people might have spiraled out of control, but I think overall, hopefully this will help humanity just have a, like a wake up call and just people figure out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I really hope we shift our focus to, the way that we seem to farm animals, wet markets, mink farms. I was surprised to even learn there were mink farms in Europe. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, it's, it's actually quite horrifying. I really hope that we kind of focus on those things. And um, and yeah, I think it's helped. It's been really difficult on I mean, pretty much everybody I know, but at least hopefully we, people have learned I think, yeah, coping mechanisms. And I think focusing on those things to try and put a spotlight on mental health, at least, which is good. And um, surprisingly, one of the things I know, I've had some friends in the past who have wanted to do remote work, you know, and, and have the freedom to travel and do all those types of things. And often the, the opportunities for that were scarce. And I think what this pandemic has shown is a lot of people can do their work remotely. Um, so hopefully once things do normalize, opportunities like that still will exist for people that want them. I know some people that work in marketing and things like that have wanted kind of more open opportunities to be able to do their work remotely and still kind of go and travel and go on holiday and have that flexibility. And I think sometimes some workplaces were quite rigid with that. So I think it's um, opened up some new industries. Exactly. It's definitely pushed digital transformation at the forefront now. Mm-hmm. And that's really good because it's shown us that things don't have to be rigid. Doesn't We don't have to always follow tradition. You know, the old model didn't always work and wasn't as efficient as just being able to work from home or uh, being able to adopt newer services due to this pandemic. And uh, on a more... Um, positive note 
what's the comfort food that you've kind of stuck with to get through this pandemic? Waffles? Waffles. Ice cream? Uh, ice cream, actually, definitely. Pancakes. Ice cream and pancakes. Yeah. Together or separate? Sometimes together, sometimes separate. You know, I live a dangerous life. You heard it here, guys. <laughs> Doctors say pancakes and ice cream together are good for your health. <laughs> the, the protein and the carb ratio. That's what she's saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah equal parts of both. You'll be fine. Well on your way. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well on your way where? <laughs> Diabetes? No, honestly. Uh, please, please don't, don't eat pancakes as much as I eat pancakes. How much exactly? How many kilos of pancakes? This is entirely because of my partner. But oh my god. Of course. He just he loves he loves pancakes because he works down south and sometimes there's another like he's only got kind of when he stays down south, he's got a microwave. So he doesn't get to kind of fry things. So he does kind of week on, week off, or he'll do a few days there and then he goes back to Sheffield. So Oh, it's quite interesting. But um, he doesn't get to have pancakes and then he comes back and he craves pancakes and I happen to be there. So then he, we have pancakes, like that's our meal. Um, and yeah, we'll just, it's not healthy. Well, whatever helps the mental state, I guess. Sometimes uh, a bit of comfort food goes a long way. I'm, sometimes. I'm, sometimes. Sometimes. I'm, sometimes. I'm always looking for suggestions though. So if anyone, what's your comfort food? I can make some notes and uh, cake. cake, steak, steak. He loves steak. Uh, I, I, I'm a big meat, the red meat person. Steak is good. I love honey. Honey is good. What? Just I love honey. Honey, honey in coffee. In coffee. Hmm. Yeah, I actually eat less because of the pandemic. It's really what like, is wrong with you? Honey in coffee? Like <laughs> what? What's wrong? What's wrong with that? It's healthy. It's it's like an elixir of life. What's what's wrong with that? The whole point of coffee is to be so bitter that it burns your soul into this next nexus of existence, and then you're trying to sweeten that with like some. <laughs> I mean, what, why not? You know, what what, what I, I okay. Look, I do things differently. Okay, Mahan, you remember how I used to cook? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, you could say comfort food. I mean, why would he drink coffee and make himself uncomfortable? That's what the honey's for. I think we just discussed that the we find comfort in the uncomfortable, but like you know, we have to go to those places. (laughs) Philosophical. We have to take the most bitter coffee to appreciate the sweetness of honey. But exactly. Not together. Not Without, together. First, you have no, to. Have no, 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 Maha, no, because the, the the honey gets diluted, so it's not really honey. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, we're conjugate. We're uh, we're, we're going really TV. far off. Of. Um, yeah. You know, I'm so, curious. I'm actually. I have a question to ask. To become a junior doctor, how many years of studying did you go through? Like, I really want to pin it down. Is it like seven years, six years, five years? What? What did you go through? Five years. So the bare minimum, in, at least in this country, is five years. Um, sometimes people can do what's called like intercalating, where you take a year out and you after, often after your third year, and then you join 
the third year of another degree so you kind of get a mini degree so that will take six years but um, most people do five years and then you can do your f1 year which is your foundation year one um, as part of the foundation program after you do that you get fully registered and then you do your f2 year which is what i'm in now and then you specialize after that so yeah that's how it goes perfect so five years of education and then i've done one module on food and then people are coming and asking me how to start a healthy life there you go guys <laughs> don't yeah, listen to choice, apparently. <laughs> don't listen to us pts go and talk to a doctor if you have a real problem i can tell you to do remedial stuff surprisingly nutrition is something that's not covered that well in medical school surprisingly and i think they're trying to make some changes on that as time goes on oh that's very interesting i think that's one of the most important things especially in this country where people don't eat as healthily i think we should wrap it up because uh you know like you probably have people to save uh at some point even though it's your off but i'm sure you're a superhero yes and and mahan probably has to eat his meat <laughs> so i think let's so i think let's wrap it up but obviously i'm sure we'd want you to come back for more yeah actually of, talking about how it, like nutrition is not part of the education when it comes because that's interesting because we right. always think you know gps or doctors know it all well I, I i think they know they don't but like you know uh in general uh people look to uh doctors for guidance and then it's interesting that you pointed out this gap Mm. yeah now uh, an apple a day keeps the doctors away makes so much more sense they don't know about nutrition just like throw it at them what's an apple what's that <laughs> fiber it's got fiber. good fiber for the heart good fiber fractose fructose something anyway uh joking aside i lewis said this and i, I do want to say this as well and i think a lot of people any person or any imaginary person who listens to this, they do understand that like, you know, doctors, nurses, and frontliners have done amazing throughout the world, not just this country. And I, I think everyone does appreciate what you guys have done for us. And I uh, just want to say like from someone who's been lucky enough to not deal with this virus as much, still, I feel like I do owe you a big thanks. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. No problem at all. It is always our pleasure. Um, it's been difficult, obviously, for a lot of us in the profession, but this is what we do. So, yeah, we're good. Um, and hopefully there's a vaccine on the horizon now. So hopefully this will end soon and we can go back to some form of normality. Yeah, hopefully no more pancakes with ice cream. Yes, that's the real takeaway. No honey in your coffee, no pancakes with ice cream, some vegetables. Yeah, just eat your red meat. That's it. Eat your red meat, kids. With that, thank you so much. Majoring in the minors, we're out. Thank you.